You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Moving, and they're moving quickly mm-hmm. towards mm-hmm. getting money and getting help and getting Australia, the people, the animals, the land, the aid that it needs. What can they teach us? This one, oh my God, Angie, this thing is the cutest thing on earth. The mountain pygmy possum. Critically endangered, less than 2,000, smack dab in the burn area. Smack dab. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. So it's different one, Angie. This is a very different episode. <laughs> That's, I guess, one way to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> it's Well, we've done conservation news in the past, but this is just a focus on an emerging crisis. Like it's the world's talking about it. I think it was something that you and I discussed that we thought we would deserve a special episode just on what's going on down under in Australia. Yeah. The Australian bushfires of 2019 and now into 2020 are historic and horrific Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and definitely something I don't even think I can relate to. And as a lot of the media started circulating here in the U.S. a couple of weeks ago and definitely within the last 10 days mm-hmm. since the new year. It was very devastating and I didn't really know how to respond. And talking with you, of course, and several of my animal colleagues, my husband, our friends, it just seems so devastating and almost paralyzing. I think for me, for at least mm-hmm. initially just mm-hmm. reading lots of articles and trying to wrap my brain around what was happening to the wildlife and to the people mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Australia and just trying to wrap my brain around of it and going into kind of a deep, dark place of feeling very helpless. And yeah. that's yeah. why that's I think it. when you, of course, you're always full of genius ideas. That's why you're a great podcast <laughs> partner. When you suggested we do this, my gut instinct was like, no, no, I don't, I, I don't, I, I, I don't even know. I, I, what do no. we, it's just horrific. It's just horrible. It, I just want to curl up in a ball, but there is a lot of hope out there. And once absolutely, I started looking at a lot of the data and the scientific evidence and seeing what amazing people, the global community is doing mm-hmm to help this crisis is why we're here today and why we want to share with you, yes, some staggering statistics about animals. And this podcast mm-hmm. is going to focus mostly on the animals because mm-hmm. that's what we do and that's what we specialize in. Mm-hmm. But in the same instance, um, it will hopefully give you some hope and you'll come away from this podcast 
with some resources of what you, the listener, can do. Right. That's reasonable and within, right. your, I mean, within your reach. Right. I mean, it's, you do, it was, that was perfect because you, if you don't live in Australia and I know we have a, a very good listenership down there and, and we really want to dedicate this, this special episode to you, you do feel helpless and, you know, living in California or growing up in California and then coming home, you know, just, uh, last fall for us, we had some fires up and around LA and I saw the smoke and breathing the smoke and smelling it. And, and these were, those were tiny, tiny, tiny little insignificant fires, even though they disrupted and burnt down some homes, which is horrible, but compared to what's going on down in Australia. So I just felt compelled that we had to talk about this. We, we have to talk about it. And, and I think, you know, with this podcast, like you said, you know, give facts. We're two scientists. This is the data. And then really look at how it's impacting the species there because that's what we care about most, right? And also too, I don't want people to be in that dark, uh, paralyzing mm-hmm. type place where you just feel like it's hopeless. There is a lot that you can do. And so I want to open just briefly. We'll talk more throughout the podcast of some really hopeful stories we're going to touch on and, and what's going on, the good, the bad and the ugly. But the good is that people are moving and they're moving quickly mm-hmm. towards mm-hmm. getting money and getting help and getting Australia, the people, the animals, the land, the aid that it needs. And so first I have to want to give a big shout out to some of our conservation network heroes and partners that we work with on a frequent basis here at All Creatures Podcast. Uh, first and foremost, I want to give a huge shout out to the San Diego Zoo and Chris's neighborhood. He work, gets to work with them yep. a lot. Yep. Uh they are donating a lot of money to help fight this battle, uh, a lot of their proceeds and doing fundraisers and amazing things like that. And in fact, I uh, highly recommend that you check out your local AZA accredited facility or zoo or aquarium because so many of them are mobilizing to help Australia. We'll put a link on our mm-hmm. show notes that will help you locate your uh, local AZA accredited facility and you can see what's going on, how just maybe you even going to the zoo that day helps, or maybe there's an extra fundraiser or 5k, or there's just, everybody's getting really creative with how to help raise money. And so there's just a lot of, there's too many zoos to mention, unfortunately, but they're doing Mm -hmm, a lot mm -hmm, of great, mm -hmm. great things. Another amazing group we've worked with peppermint narwhal, 15% of their profits this quarter so not even this month, mm-hmm. whatever, this quarter right. are going to help uh, uh, animal organizations down in Australia get the relief they need. And then a huge, huge partnership that we love to work with, Global Wildlife Conservation. They're incredible. They've teamed with Earth Alliance, which is created by my darling, who doesn't know that he's my darling, <laughs> nor does he care. My, cons- he will my conservation he will crush, day. Leonardo, which my husband yeah. fully supports and approves. You're allowed to have conservation crushes. <laughs> it's healthy and normal, I swear. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> or we've got to make it fun, right? Uh, I know, Earth I know. Alliance, which is created by Leonardo DiCaprio in 2019, uh, a $3 million commitment to uh, getting critical firefighting efforts underway in New South Wales and assisting in wildlife rescue and support, long-term restoration, which Chris and I will be talking about mm-hmm. and some of the science behind that. And they have, mm-hmm. and they have other several partners that they work with, including Aussie Ark, Bush Heritage, 
um, and of course, global wildlife conservation. So you can find more information about that at, at hashtag Australia Wildfire Fund or similarly, AustraliaWildfireFund.com. Wow, say that three times fast. Right. <laughs> but I know. I we'll, know. <laughs> we'll put the notes on um, on our show notes so you don't have to do any work. But And of course, we cannot do this episode too without talking about the Australian zoos. First and foremost, uh, Australia Zoo um, is just doing so much to help their wildlife. And oh, yeah. it's important to know too, they're, they're safe. They're not really near any of the uh, bushfires. Mm-hmm. And fires. we'll talk more yeah. about too, what, where, where the, these fires are located and get some maps up for you. But they have an amazing zoo hospital that services wildlife in need. And they recently serviced their uh, 90,000th patient, yeah. 90,000 yeah. patient. And of course they're, Irwin kids, Bendy and Robert are very, very proactive and uh, t- posting and tweeting uh, about the different rescue operations that they're undertaking. And so I highly recommend you follow follow some of their social media. But besides donating money to just the Australia Zoo in general, which of course is then putting it back into the taking care of the wildlife and helping rescue them, there have been specific GoFundMe accounts. Uh, one Bindi just started uh, called Water Stations for Wildlife on her Instagram page. That's awesome. It's getting critical water to the animals that are in this drought that have survived um, these bushfires. Mm-hmm. And there's also like a sister organization called Wildlife Warriors that are helping them get the proceeds for some of the wildlife hospitals and hopefully add on because there's obviously a critical need for more more care uh, for some of these animal patients. Uh, it's, you know, the world's coming together for Australia, Angie. I mean, I, I, I really, I really see what's going on. Like just reading today, Serena Williams donated her winning winnings from a, a tennis tournament in New Zealand, where I just was Auckland a couple weeks ago. And she, you know, sent 43 or $45,000 or something to a relief fund. So we're going to post this in our show notes, you know, some of the organizations you can help donate to our Patreon supporters. We're voting right now on which organization to send money off to in Australia. We'll probably Angie now probably throw some more money on top of that. Yeah. Just by listening to this podcast and uh, following us on Patreon, supporting us there, money is going to animals in Australia and you'll be able to vote on what organization you would like us to support. Cause there are several good ones, of course. Right, right, right. We're going to put that up this week. And then, you know, there's like, what, Zoo Victoria, I've read, has done a ton of stuff. I mean, they're... Oh, uh, yeah, they're on the the ground. Yeah, Yeah. they basically have a mobile hospital. And a team of veterinarians from Zoo Victoria is just at work saving koala lives, basically. And uh, they have set up an emergency fund called Zoo Victoria Bushfire Emergency Fund, which can be found of course, on their website. And so if you're in that region of Australia, you might want to support the Victoria Zoo. And of course, there's several zoos and aquariums that I'm not able to mention, but those are just mm-hmm. two, of course, of the big dog ones. Um, but you can find out more from Zoo Aquarium Association of Australia Wildlife Conservation Fund, and we'll put that link in our show notes as well. And that, that'll have all of them listed on there. If you have one, you, if you have an organization that you prefer or zoo that you prefer, uh, but they're all doing good work. I mean, well, they're just- doing, you know, just to jump in real quick. I mean, some of the species I'm going to talk about here, 
when we get to them, I, you know, I'm sitting here thinking this animal might be extinct in the wild. You know, I don't know if they have any of these species held under human care. I hope and pray that they do because a couple of the species I'm going to talk about today, I, they, they could be gone in the wild after these fires. Like they could be totally right. extinct well, in the wild and hopefully the zoos there have them, you know? Yeah. Well, and you bring up such a huge important point of why you and I are avid supporters of accredited mm-hmm. uh, zoos and aquarium throughout, throughout the world because they act as an arc and mm-hmm. in, in a, in a horrific, situation like this where wildlife numbers are un- undoubtedly going to decline dramatically they have some populations that could be used in breeding programs to right. then help um the population grow so yes yeah, so just they're and they just love wildlife too is and so they're just putting yeah. their life on the lines and uh, doing this on a daily basis and so i just a, a huge shout out well and we have a huge I was saying, and we have a huge interview next week, you know, not to preface everything, but of how the LA Zoo is working with San Diego Zoo to save an amphibian species. And we'll, we'll talk more about that next week. But if it wasn't for their effort, this unknown frog would be extinct. Yeah. yeah so exactly. you're, what you're saying in Australia, these zoos are critical. They're critical to saving some of these species. So. Oh, yes. I always think it's just amazing how many people don't realize how much conservation work zoo accredited zoos and aquarium do uh to help save species so kudos to all of you out there that we're not able to mention but we'll try to get your name on our show notes or send us a message uh let us know and we'd love we'd love to share it with our uh, instagram followers or facebook followers so and lastly for those of you sitting there like i don't live near a zoo or i um, i'm not sure which organization to donate money to or maybe you don't have the money to be able to donate. Uh, there is still a lot you can do. I think number one, and that's what this podcast is for. The best, best way to help is to just take a little time, listen to this podcast or do some research on your own, but just take a minute and learn a little bit more about what caused the Australia fires and will mm-hmm. help you navigate those, those muddy waters here throughout the podcast. Mm-hmm. Share this podcast, uh, and just we got to get people thinking and talking about this. Right. If people aren't pushing politicians to change their policies towards an improved environment and improved animal conservation, nothing's going to change. And that is a way that you can be a conservation hero with a click a button without even, you know, being donating money. Right. And another thing you can do if you're creative or you own a business or you work at a business, which probably that most people fall into one of those two categories or you're a student somewhere, get creative, man. There is a lot you can do out there uh, to help potentially to raise money or raise awareness about what's happening with the bushfires in Australia. For instance, I have a buddy in Brooklyn. Her name is Grace. Hi, Grace, if you're listening. Um, I don't think she listens, but it doesn't matter because she's so <laughs> awesome. She owns um, an athletic training gym called F45 Training at Borum. Yeah, Borum Hill. Sorry, I'm not mm-hmm. from the New York borough. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, they're they did they're all day today. They're doing a fundraiser mm-hmm. where people from the community that are part of the gym that she works with and trains. And I'm following on Instagram, and they're raising like thousands of dollars yeah, that's crazy. for the Australian 
Australian Red Cross, Wires, we'll talk about that. That's mm-hmm. um, Wires, Australian Wildlife Rescue Today, mm-hmm. and Australian uh, WWF, World Wildlife Fund. Mm-hmm. So using her own talents of being an amazing, amazing and incredible motivating instructor and her team around her and her colleagues, they're doing it. They're killing it. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be a wildlife educator or zookeeper or a animal conservationist to do these things. Super simple. And she set it up within like one or two days. So kudos to you, Grace. And other ideas you have about ways to fundraise just in your day-to-day life with your at your work or with your friends um, on social media, let us know. We would love to support, uh, support you in that process and learn about other creative ways that people are using their talents to help the animals. No, Angie, that was good. You know, talking about what people are doing, I think to kind of open up the podcast, let them know that there's, there are people responding around the world to this emergency. And now I think, you know, it, it's good to kind of jump into the data and talk about really what's going on. And, you know, there's been a lot of truth and fiction, I think, in the media, you know, so trying to I find it. I don't know about fiction. There's been a lot of numbers thrown around. Maybe say there that. you go. There you go. Like, you know, it's, you know, in any of these emergencies, you, you, you have multiple media, you know, reporting different things, I guess. And so sure. the last few days, you know, trying to dig through these articles and trying to find the truth of it. And, you know, I, I just ask that people keep an open mind, you know, with this data that we present and just hopefully it makes them think, you know, especially when we talk about climate change. The good news is the Australian government, I think just today I read that their prime minister came out and said, yeah, you know, recognize that climate change is an issue for Australia, which is a big shift for him. You know, I think definitely, yeah, this was something that, you know, needed to serve as a wake up call. Our administration here in the U.S. is not doing so kudos to Australia. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the country could be burning down here and, and our leaders here would probably still stick their heads in the sand, but you know, this isn't to be political, you know, it's just presenting evidence in the data. So, uh, you know, people haven't seen, and and we'll obviously have these links up. I think this will be a very link heavy show notes for, for this. (laughs) That's uh, a new, that's a new term for all creatures podcast, a link heavy show notes. (laughs) I think it will be. Because I really kind of dug down and, and tried to see where all these fires are. And, the media has been throwing up a lot of maps and I, I, I think they're very helpful to kind of show, you know, where those fires are, are burning currently in Australia. For people that don't have a good grasp on geography of Australia, I'm just going to kind of quickly describe it. I know, God, we did this in a podcast, you know, a year ago, but mainly where a lot of these fires are burning, that's a big concern is in the east side of Australia. Okay. And that's where the heavy population is. That's the population centers of Sydney. You know, going north is Brisbane. Then you go down to Sydney and then you go all the way down South Victoria to Melbourne. Right. And I always think of the east coast because of the Great Barrier Reef, which you've been to. Yes, I have dove the Great Barrier Reef. That's incredible. Well, it's still there. So when you look at these fire maps, that is where the majority of them are. Now, there are other fires going on uh, in the north of Australia. There is. And then in Western Australia, around Perth, south of Perth, and then south, the southern portion of Western Australia, there are some fires going on there too. So it, it, it's not just the East Coast. But 
these horrific images that you're seeing are coming from the east coast of Australia. Okay. And particularly the two areas that are really getting hammered really bad is New South Wales, which is Sydney area, and then down south to Victoria. Mm -hmm. Those are the two major areas where these fires are raging, you know, really on the east coast. Now, this is unprecedented. You know, we've got some big data coming. But last summer, Angie... You know, us and a lot of conservation organizations, we were upset because the Amazon was on fire, right? I mean, we were, you know, it was disheartening what oh, was going yeah. on in the Amazon. Yeah. So the Amazon was about 2.2 million acres were burning. Okay. Still a lot, still big, you know, still big. But, you know, we were like, oh my goodness, you know, the Amazon's on fire. What are we going to do? So in conversely, this, we're upwards of, what we say, 18 million acres? Yeah, it's some of the know. most recent reports. Right. And we said that was the size of West Virginia. It's bigger now. I I went and looked, you know, for people outside the United States. It's like two times the size of Belgium or the size of Austria. You know, if you're looking at foreign countries, that is the amount that has burned so far and continues to burn. So it is, it is dire. It is, this is unprecedented. This is huge. This isn't just a, a bad fire season for Australia. This is history making. And unfortunately, leading up to it, last year, Australia experienced its hottest and driest year on ever on record. On record. Okay. Right. That's just on record. Right. Crazy. Ever since they started taking sent data, this data, it has gotten so crazy. So here on, I think it was the December 18th last year was the most extreme of the days. The average daytime temperature, maximum temperature across Australia was 40.9 degrees Celsius or 105.6 degrees Fahrenheit. That was Yuck. the, that is uh. the across the country. Uh. So, so, you know, you hear in the United States, that's Seattle down to San Diego across to Miami, all the way up to Boston. Can you imagine the whole country, the average high was 105 degrees? Uh, like, no, no, I yeah. can't. It was insane. It was insane. And that was just last year. So if you look at the data in the last 100 years, nine of the last 10 years, Australia have been the hottest in the last 100. So it's just getting hotter and hotter and hotter with no let up. Right. And... Bushfires or grass fires in Australia are part of the landscape there. Mm -hmm. They've mm -hmm. been around. They've been happening for forever. It's uh, because it is hot there and it is can be dry there. But nothing, nothing this vast and this large has been seen. And of course, some of the fires are set naturally from mm -hmm. what they're called dry lightning strikes. Um, and then the fire jumping and things like that to other, to other spots. Humans can be involved from an, sometimes an arson perspective or leave, leaving their campfires. Maybe mm -hmm. to explain that a little bit better. So I've come across different articles saying, well, it's not necessarily climate change to blame, but the extreme nature of the fires, I think is just, the beginning of what we're going to see in years to come if we don't get this global climate change carbon emission crisis out of control. 
or right. under control, excuse me. Yeah, and it, it is politics. I mean, you have the, some of the, the, you know, here in the United States, it'd be called the right wing media saying, no, it's not climate change. They're trying to blame it on the arsonists. They're the ones doing the big problem. And that's why it was a big deal that the prime minister of Australia came out and, and recognized that, yeah, the climate is changing. It, the things that are hitting Australia right now, I mean, there's, there's two factors that their weather patterns are affected by two oceans. You know, you have the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. So when there's an El Nino event, which is warm waters, that's when you get these drought conditions and you get higher than normal temperatures. Well, what's going on right now this year is in the Indian Ocean. They call it the Indian Ocean Dipole. That's actually where the, it, it's weird. The, the Western portion, so nearest Africa is hotter right now than there's a cooler portion of the ocean in the East. So what that's, done has driven the rain away from Australia. So it's more, you know, near Africa, it's wetter and it's a lot drier towards uh, Australia. So that's kind of led to, so they get it from, from both ends, you know, both oceans can affect their weather. This is what's crazy, Angie. This is what I think scientists are just kind of their eyes are, are huge is last October, really September, October, there was this thing called the sudden stratospheric warming event in Antarctica. This blew me away. I was like, what? First time I heard of it when I was kind of researching this in the, in the climate in Australia, above the South pole in the stratosphere, the temperature. So this is like 30 kilometers high in the air. It's, it's way up there in the stratosphere. Normally it's minus 65 degrees C Celsius. So that's the normal temperature up there. But they had this huge warming event where it went and dropped the temperature. Well, I say dropped, but it, it increased warmth to minus five degrees Celsius. So you had a totally what? That's yeah, 60 degrees difference shift, total shift in the stratosphere, 30 kilometers above the far, Antarctic. Far away, yeah. So this totally affected weather systems in the Southern hemisphere. So you're setting up these conditions to this Indian dipole event to where now you have Australia, this total tinderbox where it's extremely hot and extremely dry. Well, and it's just, and I, I'm working with uh, some of my students in my ecology class and I keep trying to ex- work with them on and talking about how everything is connected. Uh, mm-hmm. Just like our last interview with Dr. Bathsheba DeMuth, it, we talked about the Arctic. We're on the other, the other pole, mm-hmm. uh, that if you don't necessarily have interest in what's happening with the Arctic, with the animals, the environment, the land, the people, uh, you should care because what's happening there is affecting our jet streams here mm-hmm. in the U.S. and our weather. And I think that's the thing, too, is there's so many people being affected by this in Australia right now, like right. in the yeah. moment. There's up to 27 deaths, 2,000 plus homes demolished. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and we're at the start. Yeah. So it's a meet, it's a crisis in Australia. Right. And for many of our other listeners that are not from Australia, um, who perhaps are still wondering how, besides, of course, the loss of animals, we're all here at this podcast listening, like, when are Angie and Chris going to get the animals? And I promise we're we're going to get there. there. We're getting there. We're, we're almost there. there. Uh, yeah. But 
what you know, why should someone in South America necessarily care what's happening in Australia? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you mm-hmm. why. Because the smoke coming from these fires right now, according to Noah, the smoke is circumnavigating the planet and it's showing up over South America being pushed there by the wind. So now thinking about wind currents and everybody knows smoke in general is a, ha- a health hazard. And, uh, and that's going to be, of course, another repercussion we'll be talking about from the animal's perspective uh, when we do get there. But the smoke has these fine particles in soot, which can be smaller than 2.5 micrometers and they'll lodge into your lungs and potentially be passed into the bloodstream in South America. America. Right. 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 And so, that's, just think about the people in Australia, New Zealand, the islands, and now South America, the other side of the planet or the Pacific ocean. So it's not, it's, we're a global, our systems, our ecosystems, our, our water cycles, our biogeochemical cycles, our air cycles are so interconnected and we don't necessarily see it on a daily basis, but it's happening. And so right. this is a big deal. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, this is the new norm. That's the thing. That's what they're saying. This is the new norm. Right. The, the, yeah. This is, this isn't a once in a hundred years or a thousand year fire. This is the new norm for Australia. You know, their fires have been getting worse and worse leading up to this year. It doesn't mean next year there's going to be a bad fire. I mean, it, it's just, you're going to see it more frequent than you normally would. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so there's a, in climate science, there's actually a field. It's called event attribution. It's a, like a new emerging field because they're looking at these extreme shifts in the climate and these like, you know, it, it, it's funny I, I, here in the United States. I forgot what it was a few years ago. A senator, it was snowing in DC. So he brought in a snowball to the, the Senate floor and said, look, there's no global warming. Look, I have a snowball. I forgot they called him Senator Snowball, Snowball, and they're making fun of him because it's like, no, you don't well, get it. He's it, trying to snowball the people. Yeah, there you go. yeah. He was. It, it, that's he. Did, he totally misses the point. It's not well, that they're not politicians are not scientists, and that's no, uh, that's a different no. podcast for a different yeah. day. And and he probably goes for you and I too when uh, we when our little kids perhaps get a little bigger. But anybody in scientist out there should run for office, be it local. Uh, or at least get involved for goodness sakes, whether you're on a bo- an advisory board or a, a your local board, or I, we, we definitely need more scientists and science and policymaking period. That's, that's definitely for sure. Well, I think it's important to remember too, the way that John actually describes it this way, he read somewhere it with global climate change is whatever you are, whatever your climate that you live in, mm-hmm. uh, in your town or your state, whatever that is, it's just going to get more extreme. Mm-hmm. So if you're dry and hot, you're going to get more dry and hot. If you yeah. are cold and icy in s- winter storms, you're probably going to get those are g- maybe not more of them, but they might be more. They might they might come harder and faster and have more and of an impact. Yeah. And for us here in Florida, it'll be more heat and humidity and rain and mosquitoes. Yeah, it's extreme. It's extreme. And I mean, this this data, you know, this is coming from NASA. You know, the, the people that, you know, also lost the podcast awards to, that we, <laughs> we were up against NASA for the best <laughs> podcast. But yeah, here's NASA, you know, the arguably, you know, rocket scientists, the smartest people on earth. And, you know, 
our current politicians are trying to muffle them a little bit, but they're, they're still carrying on, you know, and, and they're saying, you know, current warming's roughly 10 times faster than the ice age recovery after the last ice age. We're, we're, we're heating up quicker, you know, global temperatures have risen by 1.6 degrees Fahrenheit since the 19th century, the last hundred years. You know, the more carbon we're dumping into the atmosphere, the more we're warming up. The oceans in, have really absorbed most of this heat. So they're saying the top 700 meters, or that's 2,300 feet, have warmed by 0.4 degrees Fahrenheit since 1969. You know, this is data from NASA. This is, you know, nonpartisan. They're just scientists reporting data. Now, here's the most nonpartisan organization that I used to, you know, when I was in the Army way back when. You couldn't be political in the Army. It just, you couldn't because your presidents changed all the time. You, you know, you you just did really talk to politics. We just didn't. It, it was something you didn't do. You do your job. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, you know, it, it could be Bill Clinton, George Bush, whoever was your, your commander in chief. So you weren't political. The U.S. military, United States military sees climate change as a threat to national security. And they're reluctant to get involved because of the politics, because money is, is influencing political opinion, but Senior American officers, generals, admirals, these are the guys that sit around and think about this all day, the risks to our country here in the United States. They said it's already threatening the survival of, of poor, resource-deprived countries and is a huge risk to the wealthy, wealthiest of nations. That Here's a, a statement from 2015. Climate change is an urgent and growing threat to our national security, contributing to increased natural disasters, refugee flows and conflicts over basics resources such as food and water. And they think it's, it's only going to get worse. Sure. So, so the, the whole thing is climate change should not be a debate. It, it right, left, top, middle, whatever you are politically, we should all come together and say, this is something facing all of us. It affects all of us. Not if you're a Republican, Democrat, liberal, Democrat, whatever political party you are in your country, yeah. you know, this this is an issue that affects all of us. And here we have the fallout, you know, oh, in Australia. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and the fallout of lives, human lives, animal lives, money, uh, yeah. tons and tons of money. I mean, just the amount of money it takes to put out the fires and to uh, rescue people and mm -hmm. to rescue animals and to rebuild, rebuild. the land yeah. and, uh, and yeah. rebuild. It's just, it's crazy. So in the years between 1967 and 2003, major Australian bushfires resulted in 8,000 injuries, 433 human fatalities, mm -hmm. uh, and cost approximately $4.7 billion. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of money. I mean, it's, it's a lot, lot of money. money. It's a lot of and, money. Yeah. And it's like we should invest... In our future, green energy, reduce carbon emissions in the long run, that will financially serve us better, you know. Now, Angie, we can get off our high horses now about climate change. And I, I think that was just, we needed to set the conditions on why Australia is burning, you know. And thank goodness the prime minister of Australia finally is feeling the pressure of the populace screaming at them that this is climate change. This isn't normal. We don't accept this. And so hopefully they'll, they'll make some changes, invest in the future, invest in a green economy, 
you know, for, for, for their future because we love Australia and it's, it's wildlife, which is where we want to go. It's huge numbers we're seeing. So just last week I was reading up to 500 million animals have died. That has now been updated to over a billion. And this is coming from Professor Christopher Dickman of the University of Sydney. And listening to Corbin Max, he had a special episode on last week, kind of understanding that the way they kind of came up with this number, because it's a huge number, is he did a census of animals like per square kilometer. And so he just looked at how much is burned and estimates, you know, okay, this is about approximately how many animals have died in that 18 to 20 million acres that's been charred. So, you know, up to a billion animals, yeah, 800 million to a billion is what he's predicting across Australia so far have died, um, have perished in these fires. Yeah. I, th- I think the first article I read last week was, um, 480 million and mm-hmm. I was just, just, just horrifying. astonished. Yeah. Astonished. Uh, I mean, Australia, besides having just amazing people, uh, they've just this, they have a crazy amount of biodiversity and unique animal species that are found nowhere else on the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was trying to look up some of the numbers and some estimates say that there's anywhere from 600 to 700,000 species. I think that's if you include in- insects, depending on which uh, data set you go with mammal species, right? Uh, potentially range anywhere around uh, 380, some of those being about 22 of them being introduced mm-hmm. uh, and over 550 species of land and aquatic birds, 680 species of reptiles, uh, 190 species of frogs and 2000 species of marine and freshwater fish. And in that some very, very unique species mm-hmm. are marsupial families uh, are just, it's just, Incredible. Uh, the platypus, for goodness sakes. I mean, I know we're going to get there. I have. Yeah. So it's so, yeah. So it really just, it just sent me, like I said, at the beginning, opening of the podcast, kind mm-hmm. of in this deep, dark place. And I got really emotional, um, for a while. But as a trained scientist, I kind of, you know, pulled myself up by the bootstraps and I actually would, I wanted to know how they're getting this number because you helped train mm-hmm. me and I'm mm-hmm, a skeptic. Mm-hmm. Yep, so yep. I said, it can't be that number. That's just like, or how do we know that? How do we know that? And so uh, looking at the article and yeah, seeing how they did the population counts and really understanding that it, the data was taken from um, Dickman's study in 2007, uh, basically the South Wales area. And then of course, as a researcher, I understand how he extrapolated the numbers. And so that made sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. But then also starting to think about, okay, that's the animal density from 2007. It's probably changed somewhat, probably not for the better. It's probably mm-hmm. lower. Um, yeah. And of course, some animals can fly or flee mm-hmm. or burrow, hide. So it's it's a pretty rough estimate to say the right. least. And so that made me sleep better that night. But then the next day I woke up and it was a half a billion. And then the next day I woke up, they were like, well, that's only covering New South Wales. Now we right. kind of extrapolate that data further into the Victoria area and other fires. Now we're at this 
billion number. And then as of today, I even somewhere saw like 1.25 billion, depending yeah. on how you, of species of animals potentially it's, killed by this fire. It's devastating. It's devastating. It's crazy. It, I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane. And so, well, and now we'll dig, uh, we'll dig a little bit into some of the endangered species. Cause I'm, I'm afraid they got wiped out. Yeah. And we don't really have time to get into all the details because I, I did some of the dirty work for you, but there is a whole science out there called population ecology. Like it's its own discipline and uh, people study this and how to have accurate population counts and they're very, very good at it. And obviously Dickman is, is one of these, mm-hmm. uh, one of these scientists, but just like all good science, which means it should be critiqued and debated mm-hmm. and explored and discussed. Uh, Professor Bradshaw at Flinders University in Adelaide thinks that these, it, that you probably shouldn't even share these numbers because, uh, they're not evidence based of the current situation. Right. He uh, said, not, yeah. Right. Yeah. He's he not said saying it's, it's in, a, inestimable. Yeah. I was like, that's a, tough, yeah, that's that's a mouthful. Yeah, inestimable. I don't even know. Yeah. yeah. You can't estimate. You, he's like, you can't estimate this, but you know, I, I, I think we have to, right? Yeah. Or I think, I mean, it is, I understand like the media and I do understand they have to be careful with numbers because people really tend to hone in on that, but we have to try somewhere. And when we, towards the end of the podcast, we'll talk about what the future looks like. And one of the biggest things that needs to be done, well, there's several of them, mm-hmm. but we need more research. And this is why science right. is so important. Right. And right. they, a science in general is under attack here in the States. I'm not sure how it is in Australia with all of their funding, but definitely natural sciences, animal sciences, wildlife sciences, ecology. I don't think they get a ton of big funding. So hopefully this will bring some change to that so that we can understand more about these dynamics and how to help save our furry, feathery, scaly friends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I mean, again, it's complex. That's funny. It just brings back to climate change because there is still a little debate in climate change, but not that it's real. It's more of like, what's the data really showing us? You know, most, I think the debate in climate change is okay. What's the projections, you know, sure. because. And, and, and yeah, one of my dear friends, Taylor, she does modeling and, uh, it is, it is hard. You cannot always get all the variables right, but gosh darn it. You have to try. Right, I mean, right. I mean, we went to, we went to space on modeling, right? We landed on the moon true. based on yeah, modeling. Yeah, we did. We did. We did. So, I mean, <laughs> some, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a, it's a way to get there. Um, but it is, it is an estimate, but regardless, the, the fact that the, a million is tagged at hundreds of millions and, or right. billions. Billion. Tagged, that's just that's tough. Insane. And, but a little ray of hope or something, cause, Throughout my digging and doing research, uh, trying to get a handle on this, there are definitely ways that animals can survive fires. Uh, a lot of them have great senses of smell. Um, a lot of uh, reptiles or lizards, they sense with their tongues. Uh, and experiments in Australia have shown that smoke will awaken Gould's long-eared bats and fat-tailed dunarts. Am I saying that right? 
Denarts, uh, Dunarts? Denarts, yeah. I th- yeah, I think I've read about this. Sorry, Australia listeners. Yeah. <laughs> you can send, <laughs> send me, send me some, uh, emails about how to pronounce, uh, things better. But anyways, right. they can send smoke that will help them escape fire. And of mm-hmm. course, a lot of animals recognize a distinct sound. And so when the animals sense a sound, it's a distinct sound, uh, they will flee. Studies have shown that reed frogs will flee towards cover and eastern red bats will actually wake out of topper, which is like their mm-hmm. hibernation stage, yeah. just when researchers played the crackling sounds from a fire. Right, right. Because keep in mind, these species have evolved with fires as part of their uh, as part of their ecosystem, but not obviously nothing precedent like this, and historically maybe able to escape them. Uh, and just to show you how cool animals are, Chris and I don't talk about insects too much on the podcast because it's way way out of our comfort zone. Right. But one study suggests that uh, a certain species of be- beetles can detect a fire from a hundred and thirty kilometers away. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's far. So. Yeah. But other than that, if they can't run or fly, um, a lot of animals will burrow. They've evolved to burrow as a way to hide from the fire in either tree hollows or underground. Um, and they'll seek refuge in like crevices or, uh, action. Um, and one of the last really big notorious fires in 2009 in Australia, uh, they're called the Black Saturday fires. Um, mountain brush tail possums would basically burrow into these crevices and tree hollows, hollows and, and, and did fine. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's, uh, it's, I mean, it's not, not, it's not the end of the world. It's not but. all do, doom and gloom. <laughs> yeah. And then, and of course, afterwards on the positive side, we'll get to the negative side in a second, but on the positive side, Species can repopulate if with whatever survivors are around. And then some of them will even benefit from the new growth or there are species that there a lot of their reproduction actually depends on fires. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certain species like the fire beetles actually depend on fire for the reproduction. So, and so they actually benefit from a fire. Um, unlike obviously most species that don't benefit it. Well, yeah, and I'm going to get there in a second because I, I, I think that you're right. Fire is natural. Like it's natural for things to burn. You, you, you need it. I think we've mentioned that in the podcast before. You need that undergrowth to burn, you know, for, for certain seeds to germinate. It, it, it's a natural cycle. It, it, that's what we want. We want natural fires. I mean, cause that's part of the ecosystem. Problem is you get human intervention. I think that's some of the issues they might be having in Australia is, you know, I've seen it in the news. Hey, we haven't been doing enough controlled fires. The problem with these fires, Angie, is they're so massive and they're right. so devastating yeah. and where they are. So like I did a lot of digging and looking at trying to pinpoint where these fires are and then look at what species live in these forests or mm-hmm. these regions of Australia to kind of get it an idea on what species might be affected. So when you're looking at New South Wales and, and Victoria and you look at these maps, it's horrific. I mean, these are all the national parks. Like, so if you go up to Brisbane, 
which is way up the coast, and then go all the way down to Canberra, which is the capital. And there's fires all down that east coast. So you're talking like 750, 800 miles or almost 1,200 kilometers of just burning. So that's like the whole coast of California on fire. Like, you know, of our woods and, and mountains just burning away. It, 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 it's that devastating. So some of the, the national, national parks there, you know, Willummy, I don't know, like Angie, I'm going to butcher some of these. We uh, apologize I'll, in advance. <laughs> yes. We'll so put things up on our show notes that are spelled right. Yeah. So the Alpine National Park in Victoria, there's, there's fires burning. Then you go north towards Sydney. The one I really wanted to focus on, I mean, these fire maps are just, oh, they're just devastating because it's the entire national park is burnt, is burnt. Um, the one I wanted to look at was the Blue Mountains. And, you know, my good friend told me, she said, the Blue Mountains are gorgeous in Australia. And in 2000, they were listed as a world heritage site. So this is just south or kind of west of Sydney. And hopefully I get to go there one day once it's rehabilitated. Looking on the fire map, it's pretty much black. The whole thing's burnt. The the whole national park is burnt. What makes me really sad is there's 400 different types of, of animals, mammals, birds that are there. So the ones I was looking at specifically, tiger quoll. That was actually a species we were going to cover, but instead we're doing this whole thing. Yellow-bellied glider, koalas, green and golden bell frogs, blue mountain water skink, dingoes, kangaroos, bats, and birds. whole bunch of different species there that live in this national forest. So, you know, it's, it's my thinking is not only, and, and this is what the, the population ecologists and conservationists are, are saying, not only have animals been killed or died in this fire? It's what happens after. Because yes, that is something that's obviously really hard to estimate. Yeah. The, the, the suffering impact. and the loss. And people, of course, we've all seen the graphic pictures of people trying to save kangaroos and wallabies. Koalas, yeah. And a lot of different zoos and other nonprofits are mobilizing to try to get in there and give these animals the medical, uh, the medical support they need. And they're doing a great job of it, but how many can they, how I'm many safe, are they yeah. not able to get to and smoke damage? I mean, burns and yeah. smoke damage is really hard to bounce back from, let alone when you're in a charred area. Like, let's say you burrow into a tree or underground mm-hmm. and you wait out the firestorm and then what? That's what I was saying. Like, so you create the starvation event. So, you know, I'm, I'm saying, look at it from the animal's perspective. So say you're an animal in the blue mountains, pretty much the entire ecosystem has burnt to a crisp. Okay. You're a herbivore. You burrowed, you somehow survived. You come out. What are you going to eat? There's nothing left. You know, and how long does it take with no rain, you're still in drought, for new vegetation to come? So you're probably going to starve to death. Let's say I'm a, I'm a tiger quoll. I'm a carnivore. Okay, so I'm a carnivore. I emerge. Okay, there's some cooked animals I can eat. I can scavenge, you know, if, if, if that's part of my diet. And I can, you know, feed off some carcasses. A lot of animals have already died. A lot of my prey has died. 
so we already know, you know, talking from our podcast, you know, success rates of hunters, very low, you know, some, some less than 10%. I think it was tigers. It was like less than 10% or it was a lion study that we looked at. So you already have a hard time catching prey. There's less prey. So you're probably going to starve to death. And so they're going to, there's, there's this huge fallout, you know, and then they're like, oh, well, okay, it's nature. Nature comes in, burns, animals die, new animals will come in. That would be great under ideal conditions, but we know a lot of these animals are not under ideal conditions right now from around the planet. There's other pressures. So you're, this is where as a conservationist, we've got to look at the big picture and say, okay, yeah, it's big numbers. A lot of animals have died. Um, the area is going to rehabilitate. The, the Blue Mountains are going to come back. They're going to green up in the next couple of years. Some animals will come back. But I, I guarantee you from three months ago, you're going to go back. You're going to. It's going to be silent. It's going to be like I remember walking in New Zealand because it's just a different ecosystem. I remember telling you this or in a podcast. You know, you walk in the forest of Florida and it's like, oh, my God, it's it's just the buzz the life. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's just crazy. You go in New Zealand because it's a different ecosystem, less insects, less birds, things like that. And it's deathly silent, deathly silent. I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of places in Australia after this fire you go through. And even when the trees come back and some bushes come back, I guarantee it's going to be quiet for a long time, you know, a long, long time. Well, it's tough. The, The highs and the lows of the news that's coming out of Australia are it's definitely a roller coaster. Um, and so I do think for all the, the bad things that are going on, then we'll get some rays of hope, like the Australian government coming out just today mm-hmm. and saying, okay, this is a problem. I'm going to take steps. And the prime minister of Australia um, has already committed an extra 1.4 billion towards recovery effort. But a lot of, a lot of organizations say that's, yeah, that's nothing. And then it depends right. on, is that actually going to be prevention? And what about, uh, working towards becoming greener and reducing our carbon emissions? And so it's definitely not enough. Um, and hopefully the people would keep pushing and demanding it because right. that seems like, as you mentioned, they're being heard. So, right, uh, right. so that's, so that's positive. And then, and another positive story. I just read, uh, it's actually circulating the news all over because I think people are just looking for a, a glimmer of hope in this, this, mm-hmm. this smoky fire. Uh, is that right now in New South Wales, the government is having planes drop thousands of kilograms of carrots, potatoes, I think grains, mm-hmm. uh, for starving animals. And it's called Operation Rock Wallaby and it hopes to feed the starving animals, uh, brush tail, rock wallabies and others mm-hmm. to help keep them alive. Like you said, in this crazy devastation of a fire. And so that brings me hope. And I think that that's yeah. maybe a quick fix, uh, mm-hmm. potentially, but once again, I don't, I don't know if there's a lot of science and will this actually work? If so, how uh, long do they do it? Uh, uh then, do the, then does the wildlife become dependent on it? I mean, there's a, I don't have any answers. I'm not, I don't necessarily want to say that it's, I don't, it's, it's not a cure-all. That's, no. that's definitely a, a thing. It's, it's better, I guess, than nothing, but we just don't, we, 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 I don't know. It's just, it's. No, it's, without, I mean, it's going to take, you know, with the growth cycle of plants and you need good rains and it's going to take a while for that land to rehabilitate. And when you're talking 20 million, I mean, we're reaching 20 million acres 
you know, you're talking, you know, tens of thousands of square kilometers. I mean, I don't want to say that there's not enough carrots and potatoes in the world, but yeah, there's not enough carrots and potatoes in the world to, (laughs) to feed those animals for that long. I, well, you know, looking at specific species. So then I, I, I looked at the map, the burn map, and then I was yeah. like, okay. So I started looking at endangered species and tried to overlay it mm-hmm. and see where they were. So, you know, like the tiger qual is in deep trouble. Like that's, that's one that that's in that part. But here's, here's some species that we haven't heard of before. So according to the IUCN, there are Australia currently has 86 critically endangered species. Okay. So I'm thinking, okay, do these fires push any animals to extinction or at least extinct in the wild? So one of the things I looked at was lead beaters, possum, critically endangered. Uh, they figure there's about 2,500 left. Uh, they took a big hit in 2009, those fires you just mentioned. But the good news is they're located near, near Melbourne. So they, they appear to be safe, you know, from okay. what I could see. Mm-hmm. The plains wandered. It's a bird. Less than a thousand. Again, I looked at it, looked where the range was with IUCN, overlaid at the fire map. They seem to be okay. North South Wales and Victoria, they're more in the western portion, which is good. Okay. This one, oh my God, Angie, this thing is the cutest thing on earth. The mountain pygmy possum. Critically endangered, less than 2,000. Smack dab in the burn area. Smack dab. Uh, this is in the, this, I was going to try to, to say this, the Kozuzukiu National Park, K-O-S-C-I-U-S-Z-K-O National Park, the Alpine National Park that I just mentioned, smack dab right in the burn area. So theoretically, this is one that could burrow, you know, I think, and, and wait out the fires, but here's a species I'll be curious to see if they're what their status is in, in a year or two after this event. I think they just took a huge hit. If not, you know, pushed into extinction, extinct in the wild. My hope is there's zoos or aquariums, you know, um, Lee down in Sydney, let me know, or some of my friends down there, you know, if you have some of these, uh, you know, under human care, because, you know, that, that that's a species that popped right up. I was like, wow. And I looked at their map and their range map and it was right in the burn area. Bam. Smack yeah. dab. Well, yeah, Chris, even, even to add to that, there's a little, I think it's a, in the rodent family, it might be a marsupial. I'm not sure because I had never heard of it before because it was just recently described a few years ago on the border of New South Wales and Queenlands. Mm-hmm. And it's called the black tailed antichidnus. Oh, I'm saying that wrong. A N T E C H I N U S. I and thought it was this one that I had right here, but it's not. Oh my goodness. Okay. What's this one? Yeah. It's oh the cutest God. little thing you've ever seen. It looks like a little rodent with a, sh- like almost like a shrew nose mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just literally described and found a few years ago. And it's, mm-hmm. it's right, right in harm's way. And of course, researchers don't know much about its ecology or population or breeding dynamics or social behavior, all the things that we typically do a whole podcast about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a chance, a very good chance that most it's of the population yeah. could be Got wiped devastated. out. And it, it's, <sighs> yeah. So well, you know, let me add, let me add, <laughs> let me add that this was the one you were talking about. Looks like a shrew, but it's a marsupial. This is the long footed potoroo. 
this is a small marsupial found in Southeast Australia. It's coastal border between New South Wales and Victoria smack dab in, and looking at their, their ranges in Eastern Gippsland has been completely devastated by these fires. This is where these mega fires are. It was listed as vulnerable. There was maybe a few hundred left. They thought maybe up to 3,000. So here's another species that is isolated in that area that the fires just completely blew through their habitat. Yeah. And again, Ugh. maybe one that might hang on, might not. Um, small marsupial. Yeah. Well, and- I just looked it up too. The black-tailed um, Antichinius is also a marsupial. So just a tiny with like a sh- little cute little shrew nose. So but yeah, yeah we'll descri- to- I just recently described in 2014, found in 2014, yeah. gone in 220. Like how that's a sad story. If that's the yeah. story. Yeah. That's, uh, um, let's continue. <laughs> I have some good news. Are we ready for some well, good news? No, I'm still no? continuing. <laughs> Okay. So, oh, geez. well, well, I mean, this is just a, this is just the tippy top. I mean, this is the tippy yeah. top. These are the species. That, and I think it, it's not shock value. I, I don't want this to be shock value. I want this to be, okay, Numbers. this is what, this is what happens when a population gets dangerously low. We talked about it in African penguins. We talk about it in all these other species. One event, one event, like we go back to the Saiga, not this. Yeah, the Saiga, where what in 2014, 200,000 oh, died? Yeah, yes. In, in one epidemic? Mm-hmm. So this is, it's to get you motivated. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get people motivated to be active, to share knowledge and to, you know, try to help, help us and help the growing movement. There's tons of organizations out there working hard. To do this. So let's spot, spotted tiger qual. I just, just talked about them. Tiger qual, the spotted tiger qual, uh, the spotted tail qual, the spotted tail date, dasher or the tiger cat. Okay. So this is what they're all known as. It's a car, carna, carnivore marsupial. And it's actually the largest last. Yeah. The largest last remaining carnival carnivore marsupial on mainland Australia. Now we know off land Australia, <laughs> our favorite <laughs> Tassie Devils. Yeah. yeah, Tassie Devils. Okay. That Threatened was by probably th- one of your best animal sounds you've ever done for the record. <laughs> I love that. I can win that one off. I can win the Tasmanian Your face tiger is off. priceless too because we're, we're always FaceTiming and uh, basically having conversations during these podcasts in case mm-hmm. you couldn't tell. Right, uh, right. But yeah. <laughs> So their population estimate is about 14,000. Now they're not going to be pushed to extinction with these fires. There's Northeast Queensland. There is a population less than a thousand. They're fragmented, but you know, they're, they're hanging on. It's just their main populations in New South Wales and Victoria where these fires are raging. So I'm very concerned. They just took a huge hit. Now the good news, we'll get to the good news, Ange, because we got to save that for the end to make everybody happy, but. I did want to talk about more of the big species, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the charismatic, the one that people are like, Oh my goodness, because we keep seeing these pictures of burnt koalas. It just sure. it breaks Thirsty. your heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we covered them in episode 93. Please go listen to it. You can listen to the San Diego zoo koala keepers, their care for them. 
So Angie and I kind of talked about this. The the population estimate of koalas is debate debatable, I guess. So the Australian Koala Foundation has a low estimate of less than 47, 48,000. IUCN has an estimate up to 300,000. So they're probably somewhere in between there. Koala's main habitat or where they're mainly their, their, their population density is the North coast of New South Wales. Mm -hmm. So that's why we're seeing a lot of these horrific koala photos or videos. And then the Southeast corner of Queensland. Okay. So that's where their main population is. Now there was something in the news. I know jungle Jordan brought it up. I think in his interview, uh, we were talking about our koalas functionally extinct most scientists say, no, they're not, you know, they're not functionally extinct, but they took a hit. They definitely yes, took a hit. Yes. Well, and you I know. saw a projection of potentially 30% of the current population. Right. Which is right. a lot. It is a lot. And for so here, one that's not doing that great to begin with. No. And that's what I'm talking about. Like it's, they got hammered, they got hammered and. So then, uh, Dr. Meltzer from the University of Queensland, he, he talked about the impact these fires have had on koalas so far. And he said, because the population estimates are kind of up in the air, we still don't know. He's like, it's, it's hard to, to tell how hard they've been hit by these fires and the drought before the fires hit. Right. So he's saying, look at the habitat. And he says, this, this event is not going to cause koalas to go to extinct. You know, this specific fire will not, these fires will not, but it definitely is going to hurt them big time, you know? And I, the, the, the last sad, uh, how do I want to, do I even want to go here? Because I do want to talk about like kangaroos and platypus, but kind of want to stay with koalas. An area that got just annihilated by these fires is this is kangaroo island. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you read about it. Okay, so Kangaroo Island, South Australia, it, it's a province. It's an island. It's on the, you know, imagine Australia. There's an island just off the south coast called Kangaroo Island. Satellite images provided by NASA has shown about a third, um, yeah, a little bit over a third of the island has been scorched completely. And they estimated 25,000 koalas have died just on that island alone. 25,000. That is so insane. Yeah. And that's from Flinders Chase National Park. That's half the population there on Kangaroo Island. The, it started, this was a, a lightning strike fire, but again, they're suffering the drought. And so they have a lot of endangered animals on there. So this is one that I was like, okay, if I had to pick a species that probably got pushed into extinction or close to it, uh, due to these fires, just this one event is the Kangaroo Island Dunart. You just said the Dunart. And there was less than 500 left, critically endangered. I look at their habitat and where they're isolated, and the fire is just all throughout the area, all around it, and just devastated, devastated that part of the island. So this is a, a small marsupial, almost looks like a mouse. So maybe they could have survived the the fire. I don't know, but with less than five hundred left, I mean they. It's tough, and then yeah, and then let's say fifty of them survive, but they're isolated. They can't find. They're starving. They're in a charred area, and it's hard for them to find a breeding mate. If they do, 
They were talking about population genetic issues or with the bottleneck populations where they're not very big. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this is why, as Chris mentioned, when the numbers are this low to begin with, one event is just devastating. Yeah. It, it just wipe out the whole population. Yeah. Now, some of the good news, I mean, some of the other species that you might be concerned with, uh, kangaroos. And again, this week, we're going to drop our Red Kangaroo podcast that we recorded for our Patreon-only folks. We just felt that we felt compelled to release it to the general public, so we will do that. Overall, Angie and I talk about that. We we, we talk about the different types of kangaroos. You know, it's, it's the massive family of wallabies, wallaroos, tree kangaroos. And the, the big kangaroos that you think of overall populations are fine. I mean, obviously you've seen some horrific photos if you're paying attention to this stuff. Right. Of, of kangaroos. There's some yeah. wallabies and walroos that aren't as. No, right. If I, yeah. Not, but they're not in the fire zone, right? So right. the ones that are endangered, you know, especially like tree kangaroos, they're, they're sure. not in that fire zone. So the ones that the Eastern gray, the reds, uh, the wallaroos generally are doing okay. You're talking their population in the millions. Sure. So they're going to do fine. Now it doesn't mean a lot of them haven't been, haven't died or Injured suffered. And suffered and all yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they're doing okay. The other one is it's hard to quantify is the platypus. Mm-hmm. Now you just said, I just saw them at the San Diego animal park. Congratulations to San Diego Zoo. Yes, they just started displaying. Is it a pair of them or? Pair, yeah. They have a pair, the only platypus outside of Australia. So I was super excited. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) We we had fun. We totally had fun. Pip and I had a lot of fun at the uh, animal park looking at them. They just, uh, it's a beautiful exhibit. Thank you, Rick Schwartz. You know, get down there and, and again, and hopefully get a closer look at them. Now they're near threatened. Okay. So on Kangaroo Island too, they have a subpopulation of 110 individuals. Don't know how they're going to do. In New South Wales, uh, Dickman, the, the scientist that we, we said, uh, platypus have declined in all regions. So we don't know. Uh, in Victoria, not doing so well either. So they're in decline. They're going to suffer a hit. They, they do range up into Queensland. So we don't know where platypus is with these fires. I mean, this is an aquatic creature, but again, you know, looking at food webs and what they eat and, you know, we covered them way back in episode 17, beautiful animal, but I think they're going to be okay. Like their, their population, they're not going extinct in this fire event. They're not, but they, they took a hit. I mean, they took a hit. So that's just what I looked at, you know, in, in the last week when I was able to sit and start mapping and looking at species that might be affected. Those are the ones that jumped out at me. Right. Of, cor- of course, you got the reptiles, amphibians, insects, plants, all affected, all affected oh, by these fires. Usually, yeah. 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 And the fire is still burning. And so uh, we'll... People are working their butts off night and day. I mean, heroic, heroic firefighters and volunteers. And I, I just can't even begin to imagine what it must be like. And those people are definitely heroes. And hopefully in some parts they're getting it under control and hopefully we'll have good news to report, uh, in the weeks to come. 
Mm-hmm. But we are Australia. We acting like I'm from Australia now. No. Uh, but Australia is still weeks away from getting any rain historically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're still in the midst of their summer or dry season. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, you know, you're reading just news today. These fires are merging. It's an inferno. Um, they had had some cooling, a little bit of rain, but not enough to quench anything. So, you know, the world, like I said, we started off, the world's responding. Money is pouring in. Uh, oh, we're gonna- and people are. I, I read mm-hmm. a really cool article, um, to all of our, uh, uh, English fans, but, uh, uh, two keepers from Longleat Safari Park in Wiltshire, England are flying out, out to help their colleagues down south. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, the Safari Park in Wilsh- Wiltshire, England is running a big fundraiser to uh, raise proceeds that can be donated back to the animals in Australia. So uh, the more, uh, the more you look around, I think there's a lot of people that, I mean, are willing to get, get on a plane, leave their families, pets, whatever, and, and go rush across the world to help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll put a couple different websites out of what you can do to help as far as animal groups or people groups, uh, or even volunteering, of course, they really only want people that are trained in emergency mm-hmm. emergency response. Um, but I will also say too, I'm sure there's a lot of organizations that um, or ways to help the Chris and I are missing. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking of donating to an organization, you can always just do your own background, do your own research, and check out Australian charities and nonprofits um, at uh, with a charity watch which is a U.S. Uh, based charity watchdog that helps make sure that they're a good one. And, and yeah. we, and we've definitely given a list, of a lot of good ones throughout the show and we'll attach and our buddy Corbin, he put together um, a wonderful uh, link with a whole bunch of different um, animal groups that uh, you can donate money to if you have interest. So there's just a lot of, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of hope. I came across a story uh, just the other day and I'm going to get teared up. I don't know mm. why, um, mm-hmm. if I talk about it, but, uh, they're, they're deploying dogs right now to help save koalas in Australian mm. wildfires. And yeah, I don't know why it makes me, it's <laughs> you're going to make me cry. <laughs> I know. I don't know why I, you can edit, edit this part out, but there's something <laughs> about, there's something about animals helping animals and that people are willing to train animals and right. Basically, these dogs are are trained to be able to sniff out koalas during the fires, and they. And you're making me tear up. I swear, oh. <laughs> you totally are. But oh. no, the gist of it's called uh, Tate uh. Animal Training Enterprises. They specialize in dogs that are trained, and they have a team of pups that have saved dozens of koalas. Um, one dog, Taylor, has rescued eight koalas since September, and they sniff out koala fur. And it's, and when conditions are good, they can find them even if they're in trees or wherever. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't know why I just, I mean, there's people, it's, it's so, it's such a, it's such a clever way and a smart way to, to, to find a solution to some of these problems and that people are willing to do this. And then of course, animals are just amazing dogs where, I mean, Mm -hmm. can do it. And, 
then after I wiped my tears away, um, I think it was just my breaking point, And this was like a ray of hope and it was like happy tears. Um, but that, uh, the trainers use the command koala find. <laughs> I love that. So uh, I'm going to uh, start bawling here too. I know. I, I, it's I, the, it's, you know, yeah, I usually don't cry about people. It's like animals <laughs> and then animals helping animals. I'm like, Oh my gosh, get uh, me a Kleenex, John. I, you know, and I've seen tons of videos of people like the, the one of like, it makes me want to cry is like 10 koalas in a car. You know, this woman, <laughs> look when she started, um, <laughs> you know, she went out there and just grabbed them and threw them in her car, you know? <sighs> yeah. People are, people are amazing. And the things people will do not only, to help other people that are struggling and this suffering. Is, this is a, this is something new for us, Angie. We've never cried on a podcast. As horrific as a lot of this stuff is, this one's tough. It's tough. It it's really tough. is. And, and really you do tough. and you feel helpless. And that's why you, yeah. you inspired me to look through the data, which did definitely cause some yeah. tears and, but, yeah. but to move past it and, 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 to share it and to get people, like you said, get people motivated to do something, do anything. Yeah. Click share this episode, share Corbin's list of organizations, yeah. um, whatever it is. Uh, go, go to your zoo that day and your, and support whatever they're doing. Uh, there's just so, there's so many ways that you can help now yeah. vote with your dollar. Chris and I always talk about that in the podcast, yeah. but we need to come together and there's so many, We've always talked and promoted a lot of our, our conservation heroes as far as all the organizations that we've worked with, all the interviews mm-hmm. that we've done. Our listeners are just amazing. The emails of support we get and information. Mm-hmm. Check this out, Angie. Check this out, yeah. Chris. Here's the mm-hmm. link you should read about. It's just, yeah. it's just been really incredible. And I think together it just goes to show with support. We just, we just got to keep fighting the good fight. And there's a woman. We don't know her name that put 10 quals in her car. Cause that's yeah. just what you do. <laughs> oh, that one. I don't know why that one just make, just turns on the waterworks. I, you know, I just see there's a lot of good in the world and I don't think we tell enough of the stories. Um, you know, and, and I'm glad we started out with the positive stuff that was going on. Um, and I, think, uh, and I think we'll hear more. I mean, that's yeah. where our listeners, if you hear about amazing fundraisers yeah. or great ideas yeah. or creative ways to get your work or your school involved, let us know. I, uh, we can even do an extra, uh, conservation news right. or news right. or like, uh, what's happening out there to get people motivated because it's, it is kind of contagious yeah. when you hear like, Oh, Grace did that at her gym. Mm-hmm. I can do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I can yeah. I can do that. And 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 that's the thing is it, it it's just it gets it gets the wheels in motion and right. Right. uh it helps all this ugly stuff. It helps it helps you move through it because as, like I said last earlier this past week when I just wanted to sit around and cry about it yeah. or not think about it, right? I was just like, "Well, I just it's not here. I just can't worry about it." Um right. it helpless feeling helpless is a horrible feeling, but the the more we dug down deep and the more Chris and I work together, of course we mm-hmm. were each other's support uh, yeah. system as well. Here we are. And did we do a great job of covering the Australian bushfires <laughs> of 2020? Probably not. I, you wasted another good hour of your life. I still uh, have the car talk. Um, uh, truth be told, but, yeah. but no, I, I, uh, I, I think that the biggest thing is 
moving forward. Right. Right. And that's, I, you know, that's what need, we need to, to do. And that's what we need to vote with our dollar and get policymakers paying attention. And yeah. from a scientific point of view, cause that's what Chris and I are, uh, more research is needed. Even Professor mm-hmm. Dickman is basically saying, you know, he's a, the ecologist out of Australia. Mm-hmm. Professor Dickman was describing that in Australia, that a lot of times policy is just frozen because mm-hmm. of not wanting to utilize science or if there's a debate in science and they just have to get proper environmental friendly policies on board to help the environment, to help the animals, to help the people of their own country, and mm-hmm. then to help people in the throughout the world in South yeah. America that could potentially be affected by smoke. Right. And then, but it isn't just Australia. We need to get our policymakers right. to listen to environmental, environmentally friendly, animal conservation friendly, water friendly, environment friendly forest friendly policies here in the United States, because we're supposed to be the, the leader in the world right. or what everybody yeah. quote unquote looks up to. And yeah. we are not, no, not no. even close. No. And you know, and I know, you know, I compose myself, you know, the people of Australia care a lot. They care a lot and you, you see it, you read it, you hear it. They care about their wildlife and they care tough. about their they are tough. <laughs> the Aussies are the best. I love my Aussies. Absolutely love them. You know, and there are a lot of good people out there fighting a lot of good. And, and like we said, like, you know, opened it up. Serena Williams donated $43,000 today to the effort, you know, not just celebrities, but you, the listeners are donating money, you know, our people care. There's a lot of good in the world. This is just what motivates Angie and I, it, this was a tough one to do. It was tough to look at these small populations and and then all of a sudden I have an aha moment and go, oh my God, that animal might have just went extinct and my heart breaks. It breaks. It breaks. But there's a lot of people out there fighting global wildlife conservation. <sighs> Love them. We're going to have them on soon. What they're yes. doing, World Wildlife Fund, what they're doing, uh, all the, the zoos and aquariums uh, around the world are binding together and we're, we're, we're with you, Australia. You know, we're with you. So yes. there's a lot of, a lot of good out there that, that hopefully comes from this, this horrific, horrific fire season for you. Yeah. And we'll, once again, we'll put all of our show notes up as, what did you call this episode earlier? It was kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of links. It's a lot of links. Populated Heavily. density of links or something. Links. Yeah. There'll but be a lot yeah, of links. just to um, mention some of the different groups that we mentioned, we'll put some of the lists up on the show notes to help you navigate the different groups. Uh, we have Corbin Max's list uh, that suggests Aussie Ark, Wires, Australian Wildlife Rescue Group, the Koala Hospital, of course, there is Australia Zoo and Zoo Victoria, and then several and several others that we've mentioned throughout the podcast. So thank you so much for listening yeah. and um, and for caring. If you listen to this podcast all the way through, yeah. God bless you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh no, uh, but it means that you care enough and you should share this and, and let people know how how they can help. And and if there's if you have an animal dork friend like Chris and I, that's how a lot of this started out. Mm-hmm. Uh maybe you can brainstorm some clever ways to 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 help and raise yeah. funds. Maybe it's a five K, maybe it's shaving your head. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Uh, I there's definitely a lot of creative ways out there to um, get people motivated. And I, and I definitely think, uh, 
there's a lot of a huge reason to help. Everybody loves Australia. Yeah, they're just yeah. a hot spot for biodiversity. The people are amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just an awesome, awesome country, and uh, they need our help right now. Yeah, yeah, they're one of my favorites by far, by far. And I love covering animals from there, and we're going to continue to cover animals from there. And you know, we. We thank you so much and we'll be back next week. I mean, look for the, the red kangaroo episode. That was a fun one that we did. Yeah. I got to work with kangaroos. So I think we'll probably tell some funny stories. Yeah. It's a good one. It's a good one. And, and next week we'll be back with another new species. You know, this week's Australia week and we're going to go and cover amphibians. So we will see you then. Thank you. Listen, learn, share, join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.